Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial professionals presented by FMG Suite. We've got a good one for you today. We're speaking with Reese Harper, who is the founder of Dentist Advisors, an RIA that works with dentists throughout the country. Reese is also founder of Elements, a software company that wants to provide a better user experience for your clients. Today's podcast is very fast paced, so buckle up. Reese and I first talked about his decision to work with dentists and some of his answers will surprise you. He talks about TAM, better known as Total Addressable Market, how it's critical to estimate your TAM and understand its benefits and limitations. He also highlights how critical it is to understand the financial complexity of your TAM. Does your market have simple money decisions or more complicated concerns? We have a really insightful discussion there. We have finished the podcast by talking about his software company, Elements Financial Planning System. Reese talks about the intersection between CRMs, marketing software, and client management processes. After listening, you might be asking yourself, are my tools doing what they were designed to do or what I'm forcing them to do? Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Race, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, excited to uh, uh, chat about some things I've been going through the last year. Yeah, awesome. Good stuff. Well, before we get into uh, some of the stuff, let's give everybody a quick summary of your background and before we jump right into the podcast. Um, well, I, I've been a financial advisor since 2003. Uh, I've been kind of in a few different shapes and flavors from uh, starting my career at Northwestern Mutual to starting my own practice where I worked at an independent, independent broker dealer, uh, starting my own firm back in 07. So it was basically 03 to 06 at my at Northwestern Mutual learning uh, school of hard knocks, how to sure. uh, sell, work with clients and uh, learn that um, I was probably in a model that wasn't ideal for my personality. I was leaning more towards being able to market and grow a business that was uh, building it exactly the way I wanted. And I, I got frustrated when I was told you can't do that. So every time <laughs> Someone said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> so Then I, I went out and I started my own practice at what I thought would be a very flexible independent broker dealer. And after about a year of that, realized it wasn't quite enough flexibility for me either back in 06. And so uh, I started my own RIA and uh, I've been running that ever since. Um, that business started out with a little bit more generic customer business owners as kind of the person we worked with. And then eventually found our way to within a few years, niching down to the dental industry, uh, rebranded my firm to dentistadvisors.com. Um, and then we grew that business, uh, and developed a financial planning process inside of that, that helped us get down market, build a really efficient planning process that wasn't, uh, at, it was it was allowing us to deliver more value more frequently kind of uh, towards the where we think the future of the industry is headed. And uh, then, you know, in the last couple of years, I decided to take on some uh, additional uh, risk in my life and start a software company. So I started a 
know, a, 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 a CRM slash financial planning software uh, slash client experience um, platform, a lot going on inside of it. And uh, it helps advisors and clients work together to deliver uh, advice in a really efficient and cost-effective way. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that. That's the, we're going to talk about elements. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to cut through the dentist first, because I think that that is a, uh, um, I, I think the whole process of identifying a niche and working with it is something that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, financial advisors, some are good at, some are, some are not good at. So first give us, give us an idea of how your firm started to working with dentists and how that, how that evolved. What, how did, how did, how did you get, how did you, how'd you get your first dentist and then say, gosh, this, this looks pretty good. Well, Mike, it's a good question. Um, I, I, I've always had, had a marketing mindset um, mm -hmm. and maybe more of a just a service mindset and trying to really deliver a lot of value to someone. And I found that if I narrowed down who I worked with, I could um, dive deeper into their career, into their unique uh, decisions. Um, every occupation has a series of pain points that kind of show up. You know, lawyers have different pain points than doctors. Doctors and dentists have very different pain points. Doctors normally work for hospitals and dentists generally run their own practice. And right. um, they're just, every occupation in the world has its own pain. Uh, financial uh, has different, we'll call them functional jobs that you got to get done. Um, like, you know, a Roth conversion, uh, that's a functional job or analyzing my stock options. That's a functional job. But then there's like emotional jobs that people have to deal with too. And dentists might have an emotional job that is, man, I really need to hire an associate to help support me when my production schedule gets really heavy. Um, or, you know, a lawyer might have a functional job, like, uh, if they're a contingency based fee attorney, they, they they're going to, really want to, they're going to have big lump sums of cash periodically coming in, but they won't know how to smooth out their cash flow. Um, and emotionally, they're just handling those jobs or, are, are, you know, it's important as a financial advisor to understand your the occupation that you're working with, um, because you can go deeper into uh, discovering ways to add value to their life that you couldn't in any other way. And, yeah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. So, really does. Uh, dentists were uh, I had a couple of dentists and I had some attorneys. I had some, I had a carpet cleaner, a restaurant owner. Um, I had, you know, some academics that I worked with and some engineers. And um, I, to be honest, the the dental market was just one that I found interesting. It was one that um, I liked the people that were uh, owning these practices. And I got along with them. And I thought, you know, they're they're just as good as anyone else. I'll go out. <laughs> sure, sure. And, uh, but the truth is, as I look back, <laughs> um, you know, that, that probably wasn't the right way to actually pick. Um, yeah. it, there's probably a, a better method, but I got, uh, you know, I picked and there were some great things about the decision I made and there were some bad things about the decision I made. And um, I think it's healthy for people to realize that there's some rules you can kind of follow in picking a niche. If you wouldn't mind, I could share a couple of those I think might be helpful. That was going to be my next thought was, uh, you know, I, I, we've, I've done this podcast with marketing people before and they talk about how to find a niche. They say, hey, look through your clients and see who you like working with Yeah. Um, and kind of come at it through that way. But, you know, my next question really was, you know, what are the benefits and challenges of finding a niche? And uh, yeah, let's tee that one up and run with it. Well, I, I would say um, I did just what the marketing people 
say said that you you know norm that they normally say uh, to do, which is find look through your clients, find someone you like working with, and um, <laughs> that's actually so far so good. <laughs> yeah, it's actually I would say it's really not it's not it's one dimension to consider for sure, one dimension, and I would say that there's probably a better way to look at it. And now that I've run a software company and I know how stringent and competitive survival is, I'm much more likely to be um, much more scientific in how I would approach the market that I was going to focus on. So first thing that I would look at would be uh, the size of the market. Mm. So the size of the market is really critical. Uh, In the dental industry, there's 200,000 people to pick from. Uh, To get to like uh, in any industry, in any business, to get to like a 10% market penetration is very difficult. Um, Even if you happen to know uh, the who's who, if you have great referrals getting in, like in, in financial advice, I mean, certain percentage of people are always going to just work with their neighbor, a certain percentage are going to work with their family, a certain percentage are just going to not uh, be comfortable with an independent advisor, they're going to want a big brand, you know, there's, right. there's sure. all kinds of reasons why getting to a 10% market penetration is going to be challenging, you know, um, I was able to do that in my home state uh, of Utah or get close to that, you know, um, but I don't I, getting deeper than that is challenging uh, because you just you're running up against forces that you can't really control. So if your niche has 2000 people in the whole country um, that have this occupation, um, you know, I probably would say it's it's challenging because if you have three or four people going after it, it's too probably too small. Right. Yeah, um, we, talk, we talk about it all the time. Total addressable market. What's yeah, the TAM? They call it, right? Yeah, they call it your TAM. And, and I'd say that, you know. In financial services, um, it's as important to kind of make sure it's not too big um, and and make sure it's narrow enough. Like a lot of people told me, go after doctors and dentists. And I found that that really wasn't good advice. Um, They're not the same occupation and they don't actually have the same uh, associations that they attend and events they go to and podcasts they listen to and websites that they are landing on their trade journals are different like the way you're going to reach that audience is completely different so you know you you want to be the, the reason you pick a niche isn't because you like working with them the reason you pick a niche is you, you it narrows down your choices for how you're going to reach that audience through marketing. sure sure and and so you, if your niche allows you to then get closer to answering the question what events do these people go to what trade journals do they listen to um, what podcasts are you listening to? What, where, where would I get an, a list of emails for this type of group? Um, you know, that, that, that's kind of the reason to, to narrow it down. So I'd say one, you know, get the market big enough to where it meets your goals. And for me, my goals weren't just get my own clients to get to a hundred and call it good. Uh, my goals were to try to get a firm growing that we could kind of be you know, a, a little bit larger group. I wanted to see other financial advisors succeed and I enjoyed mentoring and training and sure. helping. And so I, I wanted a market that I could see us growing into for 15, 20 years and and not, not running out of customers. And that's proven to, to be the case. So first thing would just be get it big enough. Um, second thing I'd say is, uh, you know, you can pick from occupations. Uh, I, I, the, 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 you know, the prescription I was giving earlier might've sounded like I was looking at an occupational niche exclusively, but, um, I think there are a lot of different, um, niches that might not be occupations. For example, a city, uh, is a niche, you know, um, right, really right. could be the dominant player in a city. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you could, 
you can you can go after transactional niches. Um, sure. You know, there's a lot of different types, but if you, sure. if you pressed me on it, I would say I would pick occupation over any other thing. As yeah, and be and being the uh, the you know I'm I'm thinking of you know being the being the financial advisors associated with Park City, Utah is different than being somebody who's associated with you know Altoona, Pennsylvania. Uh, yes. Just, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yep. So I I like the idea of knowing who you're going to focus on in and figuring out the size of that market. And I I think another thing to consider there's probably two other dimensions. Um, well. I would say there's two dimensions that I I would really uh, I would start to scale my choice down by one I would look at complexity um, complexity of someone's overall financial circumstances mm-hmm. to me is driven by a number of things in their financial life not necessarily wealth but number of things so number right. of debts number of assets number of entities number of dollars that they make, number of uh, dollars in net worth that they have. So yeah, in- insurance obstacles they may have, stuff like that. Insurance, right? number of policies that they have to carry, number of employees that they interact with, number of like anything that's financial in high quantity creates complexity. And, and you know, a lot of people that have the most complexity, they own a business. Um, that is a big, big big part of complexity and doesn't always mean that's the case. But in, uh, in most cases, you know, if you are going after a niche of W2 employees that are uh, entry level wage earners um, and you have to get a really high volume of them, that the niche that you're going after is probably not that end employee. It's probably the HR manager. Sure. Right. Yeah. All right. It's, it's the person that, you know, has the complexity that you're going to have to go and find. And sure. So I would say complexity is a, a big deal. The other, the, the higher the complexity, the more someone's going to value you. It'd be like a healthy person doesn't value the doctor as much as a, you know, a sick person values the doctor. Yeah. Makes perfect and, sense. And it really I, does. I would just say that most people will not usually use the filter of complexity to narrow down their market. Uh, the third thing I'd probably say is, is just financial IQ. You know, like if you're a finance major in your undergrad or an accounting major, and then you got your master's in tax or you got your MBA, the financial pain or the, your financial IQ is just higher, right? And and there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, targeting people with lower financial IQ. I would say maybe IQ is the wrong word, but maybe acumen or sure. interest or... Um, you know, and a, a some people just don't like money. Yeah, a lot of smart people don't care about money. That's right. Yeah, yeah. they uh, just get overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, artists don't really like dealing with money. Um, you know, dentists don't particularly love it. Uh, there are a lot of people that just, if you say, you know, are you interested in this topic? They they'll rank it quite low, and it it skews, you know, towards. I mean, if you look at um just look at the type of things that people are interested in, in life, you know, people that are interested in art and creativity and, you know, and team building and leadership and kind of creative output. A lot of those people don't really love interacting with the science of money. You know, they're, they, um, they're not as technical. They're not as proficient. That being said, 
you know, sometimes the people that are super technical all, can can really struggle with um, feeling emotionally supported as they work through their money. They're they're so technical, they're so left brained that they they miss feeling good about what they're doing. They, <laughs> they, 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 Ain't that the truth? Yeah, they quantify yeah. everything based on just dollars in the the account or optimizing their wealth maximization at an early age, and so doesn't mean that, you know, uh, technical people can't find financial help and financial advisors, but you're, you're then, you know, going to be only selling half of your services, which are the emotional jobs you're supporting and the technical jobs. If someone is technically proficient, a lot of time they, they feel like they can handle some of this stuff and until they get very busy and their complexity goes up really high, in which case they're going to hire you anyway, even if they love working with numbers. So I think that those general dimensions of complexity, of financial interest and IQ, um, you know, th- those are kind of your two real main factors that I would scale. And you can break apart complexity into income or and number of assets or debts, number of items. But uh, it's really, to me, that's how I would look at each uh, opportunity in the market um, because you're, you're selling expertise, you're selling both functional and emotional jobs and this part of the market. Uh, will value it the most, and that's where you can, you know, earn the best living. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. I, 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 I've heard it put a number of different ways, but financial complexity makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, whereas the someone who's just the W two employee, their complexity is going to be pretty two dimensional. But someone who's running a business, boy, uh, talk about financial complexity. Uh, yeah. It it doesn't get much more hard than that. Yeah. Let me let me ask you. Let me Reese. Let me let me go back to kind of. Uh, the, the concept of, is it big enough? I wanted to touch on that because you talked about how doctors and dentists are two different people. And I, I couldn't agree more, but about the both, the, the only thing they have in common is they go to medical school. Um, but past that, when you, when you would look at like another field, like, uh, well, even that Mike, not to, cl- not to, uh, make your point even more, but you know, their, their schools that they attend is very different. Yes. Yeah. Right? Very, yeah. very different. Right. Yeah. They yeah. both, yeah. They, they, they uh, one would call it dental school and one would call it medical school. You know, right. they, they, even though they do share a lot of the same classes, right? So. Yeah, they do. They do. But they, you're right. They come out with a, a, a completely different degrees and they focus on different things. When, when you would look at, um, when you would look at engineers, would you say, well, you have to look at uh, who are mechanical engineers, who are chemical engineers? Would you look at, when you look at teachers, would you say, well, I want to focus on ones that are more, um, uh, more in the uh, elementary school area versus professors. Kind of give me an idea of how you would slice it in that, that direction. Well, let's say I'm working with engineers. Like I, I met with a customer this morning of Elements. Elements is a the startup I did, you know, last year, and it's a financial planning system. Um, you can go to getelements.com and check it out. What we're doing there, but it, it's a, you know. I was meeting with a financial advisor this morning. He said, Reese, I want to copy you. And I said, okay, that's fine. A lot of people do. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Best form of flattery right there, I invitation. Said, I said, hey, man, the world's a big place. Like, <laughs> it, it can support us, so fine. <laughs> but um, the, uh, I did, I, I, he said, I just, I think I'm going to go after engineers. And I'm just going to call it, you know, engineer advisors, you know, or whatever. He's like, is that good or bad? Or I don't know. He's like, the engineers are the cheapest people in the world and they don't, you know, they're not going to pay for anything. And they're really detail oriented. And, you know, I, it's interesting because like he, he had said all the things he was saying. I was like, I've, I, everyone in my firm has said that about dentists at one point too. Uh, you know? interesting. Everyone who's worked with doctors has said that about doctors, you know, 
it's a little different flavor, right? Like uh, if you, you you talk to a financial advisor that works with doctors, they'll say, you know, they, they're pretty um, aggressive in how they treat you. They're kind of like type A, they kind of think everyone is beneath them. And then uh, you, that's, you hear that a lot about high, highly educated people, right? And um, so financial advisors sometimes don't like interacting with uh, different medical niches. And engineers are typically, you know, very analytical. They're, they're making decisions that are very rational. And uh, so, I, you know, if, if you want to go after a niche like engineers, um, I, I think that the only difference is in every one of these occupations, there's going to be a spectrum of people that are on the left and on the right and in the middle. And sure. the people on the left are going to be people that are self-directed, very um, digital tool focused and kind of doing their own thing. The people on the right are going to be super outsourcer oriented, right? Like I don't want to do anything uh, on my own and it's just hard and I hate this stuff. Uh, and then in the middle, you're going to have this middle group that's like, I, I could go kind of either way, but I kind of like, I'm, I, I want to work with someone and I want to have a little bit of control, you know, and kind of have my cake and eat it too. And the middle is always the biggest market. Like the middle is always where most people are at in any occupation. Um, but you know, some occupations, let's take like anesthesiologists, for example, um, that that's a medical niche that leans more to, they're going to have a higher percentage of people on the left side of my spectrum that I paint. Sure. Right. Um, and fewer on the right and still a pretty big middle engineers the same way. And, uh, it, Accenture just did some research on uh, the next generation of customers like age 45 and under. And um, they found that 17% of people were preferring this completely self-directed digital kind of workflow or the left uh, on my spectrum. And on the, on the right, there was actually another 17% that wanted humans only, no digital really. They just didn't want to do anything. They just want it completely to be a service that they don't touch. And then the middle was, you know, you know, 60 plus percent. So we'll call it 34 on the edges, 17 and 17. And then there's 64 in the middle. Gotcha. And, and I think you just find that certain occupations like we'll say um, uh, electrical engineers um, or even mechanical engineers, um, depending on the specialization of whether they're inside of an agency, whether they're uh, an independent contractor, whether they started up their own firm, like they're, you're going to find that they're either on the left, the right, in the middle. And your job's not to like go convince the person on the left to work with you. Cause like, you're not going to do that. Like they're right. just not going to work with you. But you know, as you scale the market, you're going to be able to capture all the people on the right and probably the majority of the people in the middle, if you have the right offering. And if you can persuade some of the people on the left to come over and pay for your offering, you know, that you've now probably got a good offering that's competitive. If, if some of the people from the left that are like, normally I would only work by myself on this and I would never have trusted anyone, but you know what, Mike, I trust you. And I like your process. I like your transparency. I like your fee structure. I like the way that you serve. Uh, I like your process. If you can line all of that up, then you'll just, and, and get to where you're persuading some of the people on the left to join, then you know, man, you probably got a spectrum, a practice that's really appealing to a broad spectrum of people. And and I wouldn't, I don't care if it's engineers, doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, all the people that um, we've just been listing today, they make up tens of millions of people. There's 20 right, million right. of them. Yep. Um, there, there's, you know, well over a million attorneys. There's well over a million doctors. There's 
well over a million CPAs and accountants and EAs. I mean, there's every one of there's interior designers, there's general contractors, this group of people I call entrepreneurs that they own their own business and they, mm-hmm. they do a task or some kind of like job. They're a great market. I think they're uniquely suited to wealth management. You'll find in people's practices, they're generally some of the better customers. And so um, I like those people. I'd go after them and, and I wouldn't care if it's a, I don't care if it's a, you know, an engineer or a doctor, they're just going to have different challenges and you're going to have different, a size of market that you can go after based on right. uh, their personalities. As far as the school teacher example that you gave, like that's a, to me, that's a totally different decision, right? I right. mean, that's, that's almost like it, it's teachers are a great niche, um, but you have to approach them with a totally different model. Right. So they're, they're not the entrepreneurs like you talk. No, about. it's a volume model. You have to build differently. You have to use different technology. My at Elements, we actually have a product that's really uniquely suited to efficient financial planning for markets like that, where people can just get uh, their data in the system faster, get all their information organized quicker, and you can give advice um, that is much more efficient to deliver. Um, because we're using of, of how we're building it. And I, I would say that a teacher example, though, you're going to have to use like a, some kind of a subscription sure, sure. Pay, payment system and maybe all a cart one-off markup, you know, transactional sales um, based on hourly rates above, above and beyond the subscription. I don't like the hourly model, but I would never want to only um, like, I would never want to only do hourly. I would want right. to have some kind of a baseline, but you could do that plus AUM, a subscription plus AUM and some a la carte sales. And I mean, teachers is a great niche. I just can't, you, you your fee structure is going to sure. be fully dependent on your market. On that your, you well, let's, let's jump over. Let's talk about elements. Cause uh, it's uh, as I looked at that, that was fascinating to me. Give, give listeners a better understanding about the company and what kind of processes and softwares are involved with that system. Well, right now, if you look at the financial planning industry, it's mostly, um, you know, we have all these like CRMs that people are like doing all their marketing out of, which is traditionally, I mean, CRMs are supposed to be for marketing. Uh, You know, they they weren't really for service. (laughs) And we, uh, you know, we, in wealth management, we try to combine a lot of, um, you know, our, our marketing and our service and everything tries to happen within one. CRM. And that's challenging because some of the things that are, we're trying to do with our CRMs are, they're also, we need the financial planning software for, you need your, your e-monies, your money guy pros, your right capitals, you know, there's uh, a lot of onboarding tools and there's things like risk allies and to do risk profiling. And there's, there's all these like uh, transactional kind of pieces of software. And then there's each of them have like a client portal. Right. And then, it's just like kind of a clustered mess right now that the end client's experience usually ends up suffering. The end client is usually like, I feel like you're giving me like 10 places to log in. And, and even the one, if you do give me one place, the place I log in doesn't really feel that well designed to me, like as a consumer. So we tried to create a financial planning uh, process that was then built into technology and a client portal and some aspects of CRM. And we just call it a financial monitoring system or a client management system. So 
the client gets an app, the client puts their data in, the client gets a scorecard and some uh, insights and recommendations that sort of are filtered to the advisor. That system then uh, speaks to uh, a CRM uh, system type thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say CRM exactly because like there are functions that like things sure. like that CRMs are going to always do in the marketing and sales kind of aspects of business management. But in terms of service, we kind of see a future where parts of the financial planning system and part of the CRM ecosystem and the client portal, like they really uh, surface to the advisor insights that are actionable and helpful. And to where when you have 200 clients, you're not like running around trying to figure out who you got to call, what you got to say, where are they at? But because the client uses the the product as their financial home, it's easier for you to get the insights that you need because they're collaborating, they're surfacing data, they like participating with it. And uh, we think it supports the subscription economy that's coming in the future better as well. If you look at yeah. like JD Power Research, yeah. it's like, I think it was like 74% of customers under the age of 40 say they, they want to be in a subscription model with their wealth managers. That's big. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's almost like the uh, the tool elements is giving you a little bit of artificial intelligence by yes. forcing the interaction from the customer. Yes, yeah, you're like it's surfacing things like, oh my gosh, this person's savings rate's four percent, and for an income level of two hundred thousand, like that's not adequate. You should probably have a conversation. Or this mm -hmm. person's liquidity is now below the point it should be for their net worth. Or this person's uh, still has no qualified you know, child savings plans in place, despite the fact that their oldest child is 11 years old. And um, it's probably a conversation or this person still hasn't put any insurance into the system. Either they don't have any or, you know, it they the, either they don't have any or they do, but they're just not uploading it. Um, like we've we've got a, a, a different vision for, you know, like right now, let me just summarize it this way. Right now, every time an advisor sits down with a client in a meeting, you're analyzing like 100 checkpoints. Mm hmm. And only like 10 of them really apply to that client, but you don't know until you go through all 100 of them and try to jog your memory and ask all the questions to the client. And that's just incredibly inefficient uh, when you're constantly having to look at every client down every checklist, down every item and wonder what's missing or what should I be doing that I'm not doing. And so we're trying to just say, look, technology should be identifying that. Like it can right, see, right. and it will only surface the things to you that really are relevant. It doesn't need to surface that it's worried about savings when someone's savings rate twenty five percent on a on a two hundred thousand dollar income, right. but it will if their income or savings rate is at four. You know. Yeah, it sounds like it puts you more much more in a proactive uh, approach versus a reactive approach. Yes, and that's I think what the next generation is looking for. They want more value, more holistic planning, more comprehensive planning, and they want better technology they can interface with and a better system. So we hope it'll help. Well, we hear that all the time, right? That they want a more personal, they're willing to pay for a more personalized approach. And this element sounds like it's driving that personalized approach by asking key questions. Hey, we're trying. And they're trying. We're, yeah, we're doing our best. And I think we, we have, uh, we just started, it's only three months uh, old right now. So we're not that um, far into the market and we've had a lot of early success and great early adopters that are um, helping us understand how to build the future so now where would somebody go to check that out let's go to getelements.com and sign up for a demo there um you can you'll get videos and content that get sent to you and we can chat more about it we have a podcast too called elementality that's on the website uh you can just subscribe to that and every week we have a 
it's a 15 minute episode um, that kind of goes through a really specific narrow case study. And we think they're pretty helpful. Well, Reese, I don't know if you coined it, but I'm going to go with entrepreneurs. That's going to be one of my new ones. Uh, I like, I like, I like that. That's a good one. I do. uh, I do own the trademark on it. You do own the (laughs) trademark. Okay. I'll I'll have to give you credit. You just give me credit. It's fine. I'll, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're near the end of the podcast. I I always like to finish it with a little bit of fast pitch Q and A, just to kind of right. uh, get a little more sense. So let's end it with uh, what was the last book you read? Um, last book I read was The Coaching Habit. Um, uh, Michael Stanier. It's a great book. Okay. Um, simultaneously, though, uh, New Earth, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Gotcha. Okay. All right. The coaching book. Got it. All right. Favorite movie you could watch over and over again? Um, I am probably going to say uh, True Grit. True Grit. Um, mm-hmm. I watched yeah. part of that last night. I'm a big old, I'm a big Western guy. There you go. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Uh, oh man, I got both. Do you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beach, beaches or snow? Oh, snow for sure. All right. Coffee or tea? Uh, coffee for sure. All right. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, probably to never get angry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know if that's going to sell any Marvel books, but, uh, super, all right. Superhero. He never gets mad. (laughs) Super calm guy. Super calm. Always calm. All right. How about, uh, how about favorite television show? Um, oh man, I, I would probably say new one on HBO that I love is called Succession. Succession. Okay. Yeah. It's about, um, cause I don't get enough pain in business all day. I don't have to watch it <laughs> yeah. All right. Favorite hobby. Um, I'd say mountain biking or skiing. Gotcha. And favorite sport kind of right behind that. Um, oh, it's, it's impossible for me to pick, but I'd say basketball or soccer. Basketball or soccer. And last one, Apple or Android? Totally. Uh, well, I'm platform agnostic, Mike. I like gotcha. them both. But have I'm, to be. I'm an, I'm an iPhone user. You're an iPhone user. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Platform agnostic. That Just <laughs> like uh, we are at FMG. You have to be. Dude, you got to be or you'll die. Yeah. Yes. You have to be or you'll die. Is right. Reese, thank you so much. This is a great podcast today. People are going to learn quite a bit about it, uh, just about uh, how to segment and how to identify and really kind of target a niche. So thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Um, you're doing great work. And thanks for all the episodes you're putting out there. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Market Emotion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.